0: Since January, we've been in a series called Conversations with Jesus, where we've been looking at various conversations Jesus had with men and women in the Gospel of John. Um, We're we're nearly at the end of John's Gospel and uh, nearly finished with these conversations that John wrote down for us. Uh, If if you've missed those and would like to, to catch up and see where we've been, of course, you can uh, listen to those online. They're preserved for probably not all eternity, but for a long time on there. So um, uh, you can do that if, if you'd like, either via our Facebook page or our YouTube channel. Uh, today we're going to listen in on uh, two conversations, really, that, that intersect around Jesus. Uh, one of those is the conversation between Pilate and Jesus And the other is the conversation between Pilate and the religious uh, leaders. Um, Probably the most troubling conversation we've looked at so far. Um, uh, So, uh, as we go through this uh, passage, as as we look at this conversation, I'll have the uh, verses up on the screens. You can follow along that way. Uh, a lot of people like to follow along in a paper Bible, but if you're here this morning and, and you don't have one, our ushers are coming down the aisle right now, and if you just signal them any any way that you think is appropriate, uh, uh, let them know and they'll put a Bible in your hands. And if you don't have one at home, I want to invite you to take uh, this one with you. Uh, we think everyone should... Have access to a Bible. So, before we uh, dive into this conversation, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that these conversations uh, have been preserved uh, for us by your Spirit, uh, so that not just so that we can look back and find them interesting, but so that we can hear uh, you speak as we have just sung. And so we pray that through these conversations you would speak to us this morning. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive uh, what you are saying in these conversations. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if this is true. I feel like most people are uh, at, at least at a surface level, familiar with the passion story. Maybe they've uh, seen a TV show or a movie uh, about uh, the events leading up to and including uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. But just to kind of review that, I want to I look at what um, all four of the gospel accounts affirm about this story. Um, starting with, when, when Jesus finished praying the prayer that we've uh, been in for the last several weeks, he and the disciples uh, went to the garden or orchard of Gethsemane. Uh, and it was there that Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, right? Uh, as he led a detachment of Roman soldiers and a, and a mob organized by the chief priests, Uh, Judas led them there to arrest Jesus. Uh, We're told that Peter was the one who cut off the right ear of the high priest's slave. Malchus was his name, which um, was either a surprisingly accurate blow uh, or he missed his target and happened to catch Malchus's ear. Uh, Given that Peter was a fisherman and not a swordsman, I'm going with that second option. But, but we're told uh, that that Jesus told Peter to put his sword away. And then Jesus put Malchus's ear back on, which is just a fascinating part of the story, right? And then Jesus was arrested and taken to the Sanhedrin, which is sort of the Jewish uh, Supreme Court of the day, uh, where uh, these religious leaders had prepared... Uh, not very well, but had prepared false witnesses to testify against Jesus. But the witnesses couldn't get their stories straight. They they couldn't get their stories to agree. It, it was a mess. And finally, Caiaphas, who's the high priest, uh, just asked Jesus straight up, "Are you the Messiah, the Son of God?" Doesn't get any plainer than that. And Jesus says, "I am." And with that answer, Caiaphas had all he needed to, to go through with his wicked plan. Well, almost all he needed. Uh, the, the Sanhedrin sentenced Jesus to die for blasphemy, and the prescribed sentence would have been death by stoning. Uh, you put a person down and you throw rocks at their head to, to crush their skull. Uh, But since the Jews are under Roman rule, um, they can't execute that uh, sentence without a Roman court. So very early in the morning, we're told, on what would have been uh, Good Friday, what we call Good Friday, Caiaphas the high priest and his mob take Jesus to Pilate, who is the Roman governor over the region of Judea. Now, besides Jesus, uh, Pilate and Caiaphas are the two main characters uh, in this story today. So I want to take just a moment before we, we actually get into the text to understand uh, who, who these guys are. Uh, these guys hate each other, but they need each other. Uh, they, their, their relationship is, you might say, symbiotic or maybe even parasitic. Um, It's kind of creepy. What do do I mean by that? Well, Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea from about 28 AD to 38 AD. He was uh, brutal, uh, by most accounts politically inept. Uh, He hated the Jews. Uh, By the time he was questioning Jesus, he had already had several very negative run-ins with the Jewish community that he so detested. Uh, Here here are just a couple of them. He stole money from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct. Uh, That caused a riot. Uh, He hung flags around Jerusalem with Caesar's image on them, And then under threat of beheading, he attempted to require all the Jewish citizens to salute the flag and declare that Caesar is Lord. And they refused. And he he eventually removed the flags. Luke records uh, that Pilate once slaughtered a group of Galileans during worship and mixed their blood with the blood of the animal sacrifices they were offering. And after this one, the the Jews complained to Caesar, who then warned Pilate to to back off on his persecution of the Jews or lose his governorship. Uh, The historian Josephus records that the last straw for Pilate was his slaughter of some Samaritan pilgrims who were ascending Mount Gerizim just a few years after uh, he had had Jesus crucified. He was then called back to Rome by Caesar Tiberius for these atrocities against the Samaritans. On Pilate's way to Rome, Tiberius died and Pilate disappeared. Uh, It is believed that he killed himself. That's Pilate. Caiaphas was the high priest in Jerusalem. Now, under Roman rule, this was an appointment made by the governor. Caiaphas had been appointed high priest in 18 AD and held the office for 18 years, longer than anyone uh, since Herod the Great, some 60 years earlier. Caiaphas held the highest position of honor and responsibility in the Jewish community. He was the head of the Sanhedrin, uh, the the Jewish Supreme Court, as I said. Um, and, And the Sanhedrin, these 23, I think it is, uh, men were charged with deciding uh, the, the, the really difficult disputes, legal disputes, uh, and rendering judgment on what punishment should be prescribed by the Jewish law. Their greater calling, though, was to serve as the shepherds of Israel. That's important. That was their main job, uh, carrying for God's flock and it was a job that they had uh, grossly ne- neglected. Uh, Jesus regularly spoke against these men for neglecting their duty as spiritual shepherds. Now you got Pilate, you got Caiaphas and these two are in collusion with each other. They are the two most powerful leaders in Judea And they hated each other, but they also needed each other. Um, Their their dependence on each other was was such that when Pilate was removed from office, Caiaphas that same year was deposed as as high priest. Um, That's how dependent they were on each other. And as I said, apart from Jesus, these two shining examples of leadership and integrity are the main characters in our conversation uh, that we look at today. So we're going to pick up the story early on Friday morning when Caiaphas and his mob bring Jesus to Pilate. Again, they've already held their their trial with Jesus, and they're bringing him now uh, to Pilate. Uh, We're in John chapter 18, Uh, That's on page 870 of the Bibles that the ushers handed out. We'll, We'll begin reading at verse 28. Then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas to the Roman governor's residence. Now it was very early in the morning. They did not go into the governor's residence, so they would not be ceremonially defiled, but could eat the Passover meal. So Pilate came outside and outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They replied, if this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Hmm. So, uh, Caiaphas and and his group of 23 that that made up the Sanhedrin have have already pronounced judgment on Jesus, um, but they need the Roman court to, to rule on this, so, As the official Roman court is convened, this is the very beginning of it, Pilate asks them in verse 29, what charge are you bringing against this man? And at least at this point in the story, they don't say what that is. They seem to say that bringing Jesus to Pilate is evidence enough that he's a criminal. That should sound a little weird, right? No, that's not... No, what did he do? No, we brought him to you. That's, that's, that's enough, right? Um, I think the fact that Pilate had authorized his soldiers to go and assist in Jesus' arrest probably tells us that Pilate already knew something about this case, right? That's why they're elusive. They don't need to say anything. They've already told him what jesus has done and there's there's a lot of wink wink going on here right let's read on verse 31 Pilate told them take him yourselves and pass judgment on him according to your own law the jewish leaders replied we cannot legally put anyone to death okay this is also weird Uh, Remember I said that the Sanhedrin couldn't execute the death penalty by stoning because they were under Roman rule, right? Well, here Pilate gives them permission. Take him yourselves, he says. Judge him according to your own law. Pilate just gives them a pass, a a free ticket, permission to, to do whatever they want with Jesus, And we've got to remember, Pilate's already been scolded by Caesar to back off on his harsh treatment of the Jews. Pilate wants nothing to do with this Jewish mob, nor with Jesus. But this bloodthirsty mob also seems to want nothing to do with Jesus. They want someone else to take the responsibility, right? Right? So where we might think that they'd be happy to take his permission and and go and do with Jesus as they wish, um, they're not. So what's going on here? This is kind of confusing. Well, it would be, except John adds this parenthetical comment in verse 32. He says, This happened to fulfill the word Jesus had spoken when he indicated what kind of death he was going to die. Three times in John's gospel, Jesus has said that he must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him would be saved. He said it to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He said it again in John chapter 12. In John 8, he says, when you lift up the Son of Man on a cross, you'll know that I am he. You see, one of the things that we have to be aware of in this story is, is that Jesus is in charge here. Uh, Jesus said earlier in John's gospel that no one takes his life from him, but he willingly lays it down. Um, in Matthew 26, when when Peter has cut the ear off Malchus, uh, Jesus tells Peter to put away his sword. And, and then he says, don't you know that I could have called on my father and he would send more than 12,000 angels to fight for me? That old song got it off by a couple thousand, but that's, that's okay. Right? 12,000 angels to fight for him. Jesus is in charge here. We need to remember that as we move through this story. Moving on to verse 33. So Pilate went back into the governor's residence. We're seeing Pilate come in, Go back out and talk to the Jews, come back in and talk to back and forth, back and forth, okay? Pilate went back into the governor's residence, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, in the, in the Greek text, um, you is the, is the first word, and it's an emphatic uh, use of the word you, um, in other words, as, as Pilate looks at this shackled and already beaten and, and bloody man, it's like he's saying, you? You're the king of the Jews? You've got to be kidding me. You? A, a, a no-name misfit from some stupid little town up north? whose followers have all but abandoned you? You? You claim to be the sovereign of some vast realm? And Jesus isn't rattled by Pilate's question at all. He he does what Jesus so often does. He answers Pilate's question with another question. And some Bible scholars note just a a hint of compassion, even even invitation in Jesus' response. Jesus replied, Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or have others told you about me? Are you asking me because you'd like to follow me too, Pilate? And like many people today who get close to the claims of Jesus that require some sort of a decision, Pilate deflects, right? He says, I am not a Jew, am I? Uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase uh, has Pilate saying, do I look like a Jew? Really? Remember, it's your own people who brought you to me, right? Pilate's already uh, heard the rumors about Jesus. I'm sure he has. He's, He's probably heard some of the stories about his miracles. He's also probably imagine that, that many of these stories have been grossly exaggerated. He wants to hear from Jesus himself, and so he says, what have you done? And, and I think the, the implied subtext here is, what have you done to make these people so mad? It's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't say what he said to the Pharisees in John chapter 8 when he says, You're trying to kill me because I've told you the truth. He didn't say what he did in John 10 when he said, At my Father's direction I have done many good works. For which one of these are you going to stone me? Jesus could have said that he was without sin, because he was. He could have said that he had never done wrong against anyone. He could have told Pilate how he had healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, calmed storms, walked on water, fed thousands of people, defeated demons, even raised the dead. He could have said that, but he didn't. In fact, Jesus doesn't even answer the the question that Pilate has asked right here, what have you done? He decides instead to go back and answer Pilate's question about being a king. And so in verse 36, Jesus says, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my servants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Jesus is is basically saying, Look, Pilate, I know you're concerned about insurrectionists who will try to overthrow Rome. I'm not that guy. My kingdom isn't like the kingdoms of this world. You don't don't need to worry about me trying to take over the throne. My throne is from a whole other realm. Of course, Pilate doesn't get it. As, As soon as he hears the word, kingdom, he can only think of one thing. And he says, ha, so you are a king then. And Jesus' reply is interesting. He says, you say that I am a king. What does he mean by that? Well, I don't think he means something like, those are your words, not mine. That wouldn't make sense since he's just talked about his kingdom and kingdoms have kings, right? I think what Jesus is saying here is, Yes, I'm a king, but not like you think. You see, Pilate, the kingdoms of this world are all based on on getting and, and keeping power. And the way you get that power is by doing or saying whatever it takes to get it. My kingdom, Pilate, is a kingdom of truth. We see this in our own day, don't we? We see politicians and, and, and CEOs and even religious leaders doing or saying whatever it takes to get to the top of their respective ladders. And Jesus says, My kingdom isn't like that. My kingdom is a kingdom based on truth. And He says, Everyone who wants to be in that kingdom of truth listens to my voice. And again, there's this hint of invitation in what Jesus says. Pilate, aren't you tired of playing that game? Aren't you tired of pretending you're someone you're really not? Wouldn't you like to belong to the kingdom of truth? Of course, Pilate isn't listening uh, his, his famous response reveals that he has no interest in that. He scoffs back at Jesus. <laughs> what is truth? And then he immediately leaves, which, which tells us that he wasn't really interested in getting an answer to his question, what is truth? Because, in fact, truth was standing right there in front of him. Well, when Pilate speaks to the crowd in verse 38, we have the first of four times uh, that he says to the crowd that he thinks Jesus is innocent. And, and even though he finds no threat in what Jesus has said, he, he seems to taunt the Jewish leaders by asking them if they want him to release their king of the Jews. And they shout back that they want him to release Barabbas, who was a a known revolutionary against Rome. And so Pilate goes back inside again and orders Jesus to be flogged. Why? He He just said that he thinks he's innocent. Why is he having him flogged? I think Pilate maybe thought he was going to teach Jesus a lesson and maybe satisfy, pacify these Jewish leaders. Maybe if they saw him treating Jesus really harshly, they'd, they'd just back off. Now, Roman flogging and I'm not going to go into detail here um, much, but it's gruesome. Uh, many of its victims didn't survive. The flesh is torn away. Sometimes the victim's organs can be seen. Uh, those who are familiar with the story know that the soldiers weave this crown of thorns uh, probably out of uh, uh, the the date palm, which can have thorns up to 12 inches long. And they put that crown on Jesus' head. They put a purple robe on him. They they put a reed scepter in his hand, and then they, they mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. When the Romans have, have, Roman soldiers have finished with Jesus, Pilate goes back out to the crowd, and, and now we're in chapter 19, uh, beginning at verse 4. Again, Pilate went out and said to the Jewish leaders, Look, I'm bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no reason for an accusation against him. So Jesus came outside wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, look, here is the man. Now this is the second time that Pilate has said, I find no fault in him. He's innocent. And then he brings the beaten and and bloody spectacle of, of Jesus out to them, dressed like a king, and says, look, here is the man it seems that Pilate is trying to prove that there's absolutely nothing threatening about this guy. If he's a king of anything, he's the king of losers. All his followers have left him. The crowd won't have it. They want him dead. Verse 6, When the chief priests and their officers saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate says, you take him and crucify him. Certainly I find no reason for an accusation against him. That's the third time. But the Jewish leaders replied, we have a law. And according to our law, he ought to die because he claimed to be the son of God. See, the Jewish leaders have just upped the ante their accusation here is actually true. Jesus did claim to be the son of God. But these Jewish leaders know that Pilate doesn't care one bit about the blasphemy they mean by this. They know that Pilate will hear it differently. See, they know that all of the emperors of Rome have claimed that title son of God. And Pilate knows that if word gets back to Rome that This man is claiming to be a son of God. Pilate's expected to do something about this. If if he simply ignores it, this will be the last straw for him, which is why I think in verse 8 we read, When Pilate heard what they said, he was more afraid than ever. And he went back into the governor's residence and said to Jesus, Where do you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you or to crucify you? Pilate does what earthly leaders often do. He he flexes his authority muscles to remind Jesus just Just who is talking to him. Pilate wants to instill fear in Jesus, but Jesus isn't afraid, is he? He wants Jesus to know who's calling the shots here. But Jesus has news for Pilate. Verse 11, Jesus replied, you would have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of greater sin. This is another indication, I think, of what Jesus has previously said, that no one takes his life from him. He lays it down of his own accord. Jesus wants Pilate to understand that there is an ultimate authority who rules from heaven, A, a capital A authority that all of the other tiny authorities answer to. And when Jesus says that the one who handed him over to Pilate is guilty of a greater sin, I don't think he's absolving Pilate of his own wickedness. I think he's saying that Pilate is doing just what rulers of earthly kingdoms always do. But Caiaphas, I think that's who he's talking about here. I don't think he's talking about Judas because Judas didn't hand... Jesus over to Pilate he betrayed him certainly but Caiaphas is the one who handed him over to Pilate he's one of the shepherds of Israel Hebrews 13.17 says that the shepherds who watch over God's people are accountable to God James 3.1 says that those who teach God's people are judged more strictly it terrifies me to stand here for that reason Caiaphas was the highest religious authority in the Jewish community. And Jesus is saying that he is going to be judged more severely than even Pilate. Well, that's the end of Pilate's conversation with Jesus. Um, We're going to go a little bit further here because Jesus' words seem to have had an impact on Pilate. Verse 12 tells us, from that moment, Pilate made every effort to release him. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So as as soon as it becomes clear that Pilate really intends to release Jesus, the Jews play their, their most powerful card, their trump card they capitalize on, on Pilate's insecurity in light of his recent reprimand from Caesar. They know exactly where his Achilles is. See, the friends of Caesar were this well-defined... It's not this, oh, you're one of Caesar's friends, or you're not considered a... This is a well-defined group of senators, knights, powerful men of Rome who, for one reason or another had earned the emperor's favor. Pilate, as a Roman governor, would have been a member of this elite club called the Friends of Caesar. And if he releases someone who had claimed kingship, who considered himself a son of God, Pilate would undoubtedly forfeit his membership in the Friends of Caesar club. And that, it seems, is the, is the deal breaker for Pilate. So verse 13 tells us, When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down, Pilate sat down on the judge's bench in a place called the Stone Pavement, in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover. And it was about six in the morning. Then he told the Jews, Here is your king. Pilate is taunting the Jews again. These people that he hates so much. He's he's angry that he's in this situation at all. And when he announces, here is your king, the crowd erupts again. Take him away. Crucify him. And Pilate taunts them again. Really? You want me to crucify your king? And then we, we have... I think are probably the six most disturbing words in all of the Bible. The chief priests' voices rise above the others as they shout, we have no king but Caesar. It's it's just a few years earlier that these same men had stretched out their necks for beheading. Go ahead. We, we will not hail Caesar. Go ahead, Pilate. Cut my head off. I'll do that before I'll hail Caesar. Now, with the true king of the universe standing in front of them, they shout, we have no king but Caesar. Friends, this is... Religious nationalism at its absolute worst. This is where it leads. It it, it trades allegiance to the true king, Jesus. It trades that for allegiance to man-made kings. Verse 16 tells us that because of them, Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. Matthew's gospel tells us that it's at this point with, with Pilate sitting on the judge's bench, that Pilate receives a message from his wife saying, have nothing to do with this man. She's been having nightmares all night about him. She knows this will not end well. Of course, it's too late. That's the end of these conversations um, here in chapters 18 and 19. From here, Jesus will go to the cross. What are we supposed to take from this are we Are we just watching a bit of history unfold here, or is there something more for us? Um, the first thing I want to address is I don't think this story is intended to make us feel sorry for Jesus. Uh, There is injustice written in every line of this story, but I don't think that's what the story is about. Jesus has made it clear several times that he's in control of his own sacrifice on the cross for the sins of the world. If Caiaphas and Pilate hadn't acted so wickedly, Jesus would have found another way to get to the cross, you see. If anything, he's using these unjust leaders to accomplish the ultimate justice of paying for your sins and for mine, of justifying out of this injustice, justifying us in the sight of God. So as horrific as this story is, I don't, I don't think it's meant to cause us to feel sorry for Jesus. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's, that's what I believe here. Uh, in the conversations that we've listened to today, we have these two powerful men who probably believe they're working uh, for completely opposing forces, completely opposing kingdoms, even, if you will, But it turns out they're more alike than they are different. Both Pilate and and Caiaphas are these power-hungry monsters who use whatever means they can to ensure they keep their power. They will use violence, lies, betrayal, even the twisting of God's word to get what they want. See, Pilate and Caiaphas are actually working for the same kingdom. But Jesus' kingdom isn't from that realm. You see, in Jesus' kingdom, the king washes the feet of his servants. The king humbles himself even to the point of death, laying down his life for his sheep, John 10. The cardinal rule in Jesus' kingdom is love. And he expects everyone in his kingdom to to obey that law of love which they can only do if they remain connected to him, the true vine. And as we listen to the conversations this morning, we're being faced, I think, with the same decisions that Pilate and Caiaphas were faced with. See, Pilate and and Caiaphas both thought they were the ones questioning Jesus, didn't they? But the truth is, Jesus was questioning them. In fact, I, I... titled my message this morning, Jesus Puts Pilate on Trial. And I think in the same way Jesus is questioning us this morning. And the question is this, are we going to receive his claim of being the Son of God, God in the flesh come to rescue us out of our sin? Will we hear his claim of being Messiah, meaning the anointed king, and, and, and bow our lives before him. And make no mistake, friends, you can't have multiple kings. These words that Caiaphas spoke are, are more truthful than he probably even realized when he said, we have no king but Caesar. Okay, that's right. You can only have one. And he chose Caesar. See, each of us is required to decide who's going to be king in my life. And and actually, it turns out we have to make that choice every moment of every day because there's lots of things in this world vying to be king in our lives, in my life, right? My own selfishness wants to be king. Money wants to be king. My comfort or, or my rights want to be king. Fear wants to be king. There's only room for one king in your life. So like Caiaphas, we all have to decide who's going to be king. Who's going to be king? And like Pilate, we have to decide what we're going to do with the truth. Are we just going to scoff and say, what is truth? That's kind of what happened a lot in a postmodern world. What is truth? there's no absolute truth. Are you absolutely sure? Some of you are still exploring the claims of Jesus, and that's a really good thing to do, but there comes a time when you have to decide if what Jesus claims is true or not. I don't mean do you think it's true. Jesus isn't presenting you with a list of propositions that you get to hold up and say, yeah, does that match my view of the truth, my truth? Jesus claims to be the very embodiment of truth. He is the truth. And it is only his truth that has the power to set you free. Plain and simple. In chapter 1 of John's gospel, the very first conversation we listened to was between Jesus and Nathanael. And with very little evidence, as, as Jesus stood in front of him, something in Nathanael knew, and he said, You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. In, in three of the four gospels, we hear a Roman centurion at the f- foot of the cross say, surely, this was the Son of God. Both Pilate and and Caiaphas failed the test. They failed to see this. And so the question for us, as always, is what will we do with Jesus? Let's pray. King Jesus, we want to acknowledge today that you are the name above every name, Uh, that a day will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord, not Caesar, not all the other things that claim to be king. You are Lord, you are king. My prayer is that we won't wait for that day when every knee will be forced to acknowledge that, but that we will willingly surrender to you as king. We will receive your truth and walk in the truth that is you. Holy Spirit, help us to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.